Welcome inside the Legends Lounge, where baseball VIPs are hanging out and talking about their life in the game. Oh, big slugger coming into the lounge in Rafael Palmero. And hey, this is someone who at some point, I'm sure we'll get into it. And he'll mention and he'll say because he's done it. Many times at this point, he'll say, I've made my mistakes in the game with the steroid suspension. But also, if you look at the body of work and and what he did as a big leaguer, he had quite the career. And he's a really nice guy and a baseball junkie. He really is. And uh, I'm excited about, you know, having Rafa on. I mean, because he's a homie from Miami, Miami Jackson High. I'm going to talk a a lot about, you know, growing up over there. I'm sure, you know, we have so many, you know, uh, buddies that uh, you know from uh, you name it that, that that were playing at that time and uh and also just the the pure hitter that he was uh scotty b i definitely want to talk to him about uh the the pureness that came from childhood he is knocking on the door at the moment so let me go let him in rafael palmero coming in hot in the lounge Big bat coming through the lounge. 20 years, mostly with the Rangers and the Orioles. Four-time All-Star, three gold gloves, couple silver sluggers, over 500 homers, over 3,000 hits. Moved to the U.S. at age seven, lived in South Florida. Cuban connections for O today. A lot of connections yeah, for you today, O. You uh-huh. should kick this off with Rafael Palmero inside the lounge. Let me kick this off inside the lounge. This is a VIP guest. Uh, obviously, uh, once he once he rolled up to the, the Legends Lounge, you know, people were like, is that, is that him? Is that him? Yeah, it's RP from uh, Miami, uh, Jackson Senior High. And welcome to the lounge, buddy. It's been a minute that you and I have connected, but it's good to, uh, to have you on. Well, thanks for having me on, man. I know it's been a long time since since you and I have seen each other and played against each other, but it's great to be with you guys. How's life for you right now? Where are you at? And I mean, every once in a while, I would check in on you career-wise, and I'm like, hey, he's still going, playing in independent league ball. I remember the Atlantic League in 2015, and then the American Association Indie Ball in 2018. You still swinging? Uh, a little bit. You know, every now and then <laughs> I go visit my son that's still playing, I, I get a bat and, and show him a little bit how it's done. But uh, life, <laughs> it's, just, it's slowed down. <laughs> Obviously, I mean, I, my kids are now both grown men and uh, I'm not doing a lot these days, just playing a little bit of golf and uh, I'm actually doing some remodeling in my house uh, as we speak. But uh, just a little traveling here and there and uh, just doing a lot of yard work. So not doing a lot of stuff these days. Well, brother, I do want to take you back because uh, we have so many roots uh, together. You're a couple years younger than I, but, you know, born in 64 in Hanakua and then came over, you know, like myself at a young age and, and, and grew up in Miami, which for us, it was really a beautiful Miami in the, in the late seventies and, and getting into, you know, high school and, and the, the talent that was there, but talk a little bit about, you know, what your experience was as a youngster and, you know, and reaching Miami and, and, and how that all kind of came about with your baseball. Well, like you said, I came over with my family in 1971. I was six years old and we moved into uh right there in the uh, downtown area, the Liberty City, um, Northwest Miami or Northeast Miami, um, and just started playing ball at the age of nine. My dad was a baseball player, 
in Cuba and just loved baseball, loved the New York Yankees. Uh, and it just got me in, involved with baseball and with my brothers and uh, just played all the way through high school and, uh, you know, got uh, an offer to go to Mississippi State to play baseball up there. But I, uh, you know, like you said, we Miami back then was a lot different. Uh, I think it was a lot nicer when I was when we were kids uh, and I enjoyed it. I loved Miami as a kid. Uh, obviously, I, I don't I haven't been there. I mean, I, I visit every now and then, but uh, I haven't lived there since I was 18 years old. It's changed a lot. I don't think that I could live there now, uh, but uh, my family loves it. My brothers uh, think that that's the best place in the world. Um, and it is nice to visit, but uh, I mean, I love growing up in Miami, as you know, playing baseball all the time, playing at the boys club down in Southwest, got a chance to play with Jose Canseco uh, and his brother and Danny Tartable. So those are names that, you know, everybody's familiar with because they, those guys played in the big league. If I'm, if I may, I, I, you mentioned, you know, the, the boys club and there's a guy that, that we all love and Eddie Gallo Rodriguez uh, was very influential to, you know, all of us. Um, those years at, at the boys club and, you know, the talent, you know, how much do you think that that affected you, you know, later on the greatness that you had in your baseball career? Well, you know, the boys club was the best, uh, level of the best competition. I think that, that we played as a, as kids growing up, um, all the way up through 14, 15 years old, right before high school, but the talent level, I mean, we had so many guys, even A-Rod came on after us and, uh, played in the boys club. So, just the, the level of competition and the uh, uh, and just uh, being around there all the time, uh, I think it had a lot of influence on me. And I know uh, some of the other guys that went through there. Um, but yeah, Eddie, Eddie influenced my career a lot. I, uh, you know, he, actually I had a chance to, to see him when A-Rod came and played with Texas because uh, Eddie was still around uh, with A-Rod a lot. Uh, so, yeah, we used to talk about the, the good old days back at the, at the boys club. You know, we talk on this podcast sometimes about career planning and like life after baseball. And some of this talk about childhood has me thinking about basically life before baseball as your playing career. So I'm wondering for you if there was a moment that you can recall where you're like, OK, I'm going to be a big leaguer. And if so, how you were planning your life, like, did you do that at a young age or you just show up to the ballpark and play? Is it that simple for someone that's eventually going to be a huge deal in Major League Baseball? The thing that I can remember going back uh, for me was, and you guys are going to freak out when I say this, uh, it was probably 1974, 73, something like that. I was eight or nine years old. And I, I remember sitting on my dad's lap the night that Hank Aaron broke the home run record. Okay. And, uh, you know, back in those days, we had uh, ABC, NBC, CBS, and the, the Atlanta Braves channel. For some reason, I could watch the Braves game. So I became an, a Braves fan and a big, big Hank Aaron fan. So I remember that night when he broke the record, I, I told my dad, I want to be like him. I want to be a big, uh, big league baseball player. So at a very young age, I had this wild dream that I wanted to be like Hank Aaron. And so, you know, and then as I started playing ball, uh, everywhere I went, I did pretty well. I, you know, I succeeded at all the levels. And so probably by the time I got to high school, I figured, you know, I, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to be. I want to be a big league baseball player. And I remember my dad used to tell me, you're crazy. I mean, that's, that's really hard to do. You're crazy. Uh, but, you know, we'll keep working at it. I'll keep working with you and, and see how far you can go. But that's just a crazy dream. But, uh, you know, 
uh, it was a dream. He, he helped me get there. He pushed me hard. He challenged me. And, uh, but I always kept that dream alive. It was a smarter dream than O's initial dream of playing in the NBA. No offense, O. I mean, you're a big dude. I, I didn't watch you play, but you transitioned your dream from NBA to MLB, which it sounds like some just said, hey, I, I can swing the bat. I'm going to stick with that first, right? I do want to follow up on the Hank Aaron thing because I actually watched that at the same time. We, we, we mimic each other so much. I was six years old when I came over from Cuba. I'm two years older than you, so I was in 60, you know, in 68-ish, uh, and you came over in 71. But yeah. – um, the one thing that, that that you had, because I, you know, obviously we all follow our careers being from the same area and whatnot, was uh, um, a sweet swing from childhood. I mean, uh, it was it was something other, you know, other dramatic that you can't teach, especially from the left side. It was it was this type of a swing that had a, such a beautiful, you know, Stan Musial, Ted Williams, you know, Griffey Jr. Uh, and I'm sure you worked on it. Rafa, but it also something came natural to you or explain your swing because it was something, you know, beautiful to watch. Well, I would think that I think that it was a natural swing because I remember my dad not really talking to me about mechanics that, that much. I mean, I know the, to today in today's game, there's so many things out there and, and so much information and so many different ways of doing it. But I think these guys are just over there. There's just too much going on. Uh, for me, it was just real simple. He said, hey, try to swing the bat level. Swing it level. Don't uppercut the ball. You know, just kind of swing level through, through, the, through the zone and uh, hit the ball out in front of home plate. Don't let the fastball beat you. And that was it, okay? And, and make contact. Make sure that when you swing the bat, you make contact with the ball. Try to hit a line drive somewhere. And that was it. That, that's all I ever thought about when I was 9, 10, all the way up through high school, all the way up through college. I kept it to the point where it was so simple that I didn't have to think about anything other than I'm going to see the ball and I'm going to put a, a level swing on it and I'm going to hit it out in front of home plate. And that was it. And so I think that worked in my favor because I didn't have so much to process. I didn't have to think about, Oh, I got to get back. Oh, I've got to stride. I've got to do this. My hands, you know, my head, none of that mattered. I just wanted to see the ball, keep my head down and, and put a nice level swing on it. And so, you know, luckily it worked out early on in my career where my swing was just a natural swing and I didn't have to alter it all along, along the way as I was developing as a player. So when things are coming naturally to you, like you said, you're succeeding at every level. What were some of the stressors? Like I'm going through the bio and thinking, is there a story behind being an eighth round pick by the Mets and choosing to go to Mississippi state for the full ride. And then eventually obviously succeeding there a ton and becoming a first round pick. Like, were there any major life decisions that came at you where you're going, I'm really young and this could change everything. Well, I think when I got drafted out of high school, um, I wasn't really expecting, I mean, I wasn't even thinking about the draft. I mean, I had a great high school career. Um, but when I got drafted, it was, I didn't even think twice about signing. I mean, my dad's like, you need to go to college. Don't worry about pro baseball. That's going to come at some point. Just go play baseball. Luckily, Mississippi State was there, and they offered me a ride, a, a, you know, a scholarship to go play up there. And those three years at Mississippi State really changed my life. But that decision coming out of high school, um, man, I don't know if I would have ended up being a, a big league player. I, that's who knows what would have happened there. Uh, but I do know that going to Mississippi State was probably the best decision at the time for me and to develop as a player. 
and your coaching there and also uh, their teammates. Uh, talk a little bit about your teammates. You pretty much, you guys had a pretty dominating team. We did. We probably had the best, the best team that never won the college world series. We were, close. <laughs> we came close in 85. Um, but we had uh, Bobby Thigpen, Will Clark, Jeff Brantley, who were all uh, big league superstars. Um, and so, and they were all, you know, off, awesome players in college, but um you know, who, who would have thought that any of us were going to end up in the big leagues and, and having the kind of careers that we all had. But, uh, but like I said, those three years at Mississippi state were probably the, the, the three years that changed my, the, my trajectory uh, towards my career. I don't know if, if they would have been the same if I had signed with the Mets in, um, in 82. Who knows? Hey, a little more, on the college experience and then, you know, the ties with Will Clark throughout your career where you guys played in some spots that mirrored each other, of course. And what was it like playing with someone like him in college? I imagine there, whatever the, the relationship was, the competitiveness of having somebody that's going to be a first round pick alongside you was more helpful than not in your experience to become someone that's a big deal at the next level. Well, it was helpful, but, you know, I remember early on as freshmen, we were living in the dorm, all the freshmen lived in the dorm. Most of the team lived in the dorm, except maybe the, the juniors and seniors. You know, back then there were athletic dorms where the athletes uh, would live. Uh, but I remember early on or in the fall in 82, uh, we would all sit around, all the freshmen would sit around in a room and just kind of talk about high school and and I remember Will saying, yeah, I've got the record in Louisiana of the, you know, the, the home run record in Louisiana. I broke Rusty Stubbs record and I did this and I was an All-American and I'm blah, 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 blah. And so we were like all looking around and like, Will, we were all of that. OK, all of <laughs> all like that. At our, we came from Florida. We did that. OK, we had the best the best pitcher out of the state of Florida, Trenton Torsha at the time you know, was there sitting in the room and we're like, what's he talking about? Is he, what he we're chopped liver? Uh, but yeah, Will was that kind of guy. He was always talking just uh, loud, but he came to play and it was, it was awesome to play, you know, alongside of him in college because it brought out the best in everyone. Uh, and yeah, there was a friendly uh, competitiveness to us, but I always rooted for him, obviously, because he was on our team and he rooted for me. So even though we were pushing each other, uh, you know, and, and, and we were uh, rooting for each other, we were competing against each other as well. I tell you what, two beautiful swings again. I mean, uh, that, that uh, must have been a sight to see. But you No, know, it was. The, the difference is that he was more of a back foot hitter and I was more of a front foot hitter. Uh, and uh, his home runs were like launching, you know, just big, long fly balls. A lot of them to left center field. Mine were more, you know, just natural line drives, that would carry out of the ballpark, but just totally different, different approaches with the same results. Now, as I got older, I became more of a, you know, more balanced in my approach and I wasn't really on the front side that much, but I learned that as I got older through the minor leagues. And when I came up to the big leagues, I was able to, to, to learn actually how to hit because before that I was just hitting. I was, like I said, going back to what my dad taught me, everything was so uh, primitive and so simple. But as I got older, I started learning how to, load and use my lower half better and stay behind my front side. Uh, but, uh, and then Will became more of a front foot hitter, even though he was still on the backside a little bit more. Uh, but 
same results. I mean, he, we both ended up with, uh, you know, I know his, his career got shortened, but he ended up being an all-star in the big leagues. And, uh, but it was fun to watch. It was fun to watch as a teammate and fun to watch playing against him uh, when we were playing against each other. No doubt. Um, then you get drafted in the Cubs and you, uh, you swiftly kind of get up to the big leagues. I, I believe I want to say 84, was it? And uh, well, in 80, 85, I got drafted. I got to the 85, excuse me. I apologize. I came out for a cup of coffee in September. Right. Uh, how was that? And, and, you know, your rise was fairly swift and, and your transition now here you are in the major leagues, you know, something that you said when you yeah. saw that Hank Aaron famous home run uh, was coming to be and, and uh, your adjustment at that point. Yeah. Um, I remember I wasn't, we were in double A. My wife and I were, we were just finishing up the, the season in double A and uh, the, in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. And uh, this is the night that I got called up. It was the last, the last day of the, uh, the playoffs because we had gotten beat by the, the Vermont Reds uh, and the nasty boys, all the nasty boys were in double A before they got up to, to Cincinnati. But uh, the GM of our team had, had uh, informed my wife that we were going to get called up. Um, and so the game was over and I, I could see my wife just smiling side to side. I mean, she was so happy and I'm like, what's going on? And she says, we just, we're going up to the big leagues. So, uh, and we drove all night and we got to Chicago and the next they had a, we had a day off that day, but the next day I got to the, to the Wrigley field and I, I just couldn't believe it. I walked into that ballpark and I just, I, I saw Ryan Sandberg, uh, uh, Rick Sutcliffe, Jody Davis, Ron Say. I mean, these are guys that I watched growing up as a kid. And now here I am in the same locker room with these guys as my teammates. It was just unreal. I was nervous. I was like walking on, you know, on air. But I was in the lineup that day. So I didn't have a lot of time to think about where I was or how, how to feel because I had to get there, change and get out on the field to, to get into batting practice. But it was just an unreal feeling, um, you know, getting called up feeling like I had accomplished what I had set out to, to accomplish. Quick aside, because I think about this nowadays, and maybe it's different nowadays compared to when you debuted, but the obvious answer is when you get called up to the show, you want to be in the lineup first day. Is there an advantage to that or to getting one day to meet everyone, get yourself settled? But I'm thinking based off what you're saying, too much thinking and anticipation could lead to the mental stuff getting in the way. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. You want to get there and you want to be in the lineup and you don't want to have time to think about anything and not have to soak it all in. Because if I'd have gotten there and I had to sit, you know, go through the process of that pre preparation during, during that day and then sit in the dugout and not know, am I going to get in this game? You know, just being nervous. Yeah. I think 99% of the guys would rather just know for sure. Hey, I'm in the lineup. I don't have time to worry about this thing. Let's go. It's time to go play. Um, so yeah, for me, I just, yeah. I didn't have time to think. I, didn't, I was nervous, but 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 anxious and and looking forward to, to getting out on the field. Did you get a knock that first game? I did. I was one for four. My first my first base nice. hit, line drive to left center. Off of? I don't remember. I think we were playing the Phillies. I just don't remember the, the – Go pitch find that ball That's right when you know you had too many knocks. Yeah, he oh. had over 3,000. So, yeah, you know, yeah. You don't, don't make me feel that bad, Rafa. Come on now, okay? I know you had, you know, twice, many more hits than I did. But no, but he's probably <laughs> right behind you somewhere in a shelf there with the many, you know, historic balls you probably hit. Then you can look and go, oh, yeah. No, but that that's exciting. 
Um, I've got 3,001. I don't think I have 3,020, which was my last hit. Uh, I did hit a home run the second day because I was in the lineup the second day. Um, and I, I don't remember who my first home run, home run was against, but it was the second day that I was there. It was out into the street, out into over the over the bleachers. Right, Phil. <laughs> yeah, you remember the right the the look, just not who was <laughs> on the mound, right? The the swing, the trajectory. Yes, sure. Uh, exit velocity and uh, yeah. <laughs> you weren't checking out your exit velocity. No, no, but was exit velocity back then. <laughs> You, you you played in special places. I mean, you know, Chicago is historic. Uh, you got to play in a, one of the old, you know, the more storied teams too in the Baltimore Orioles of, of the history of Major League Baseball. Also, and play with the great Cal Ripken Jr. Then, you know, Texas is a great stop for you. Where 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 was, uh, you know, the best stop uh, for you? Well, I think, uh, I think Baltimore. My first, my first time around in Baltimore because I, I was I played in a couple in a couple of good teams, you know. In '96 and '97, we ended up uh, playing for the uh, for the American League Championship. Uh, we got beat obviously by the Yankees in '96, and I, I I can think about you guys remember this too, the famous uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. I think that was his name. Is that right, or is that a killer? Oh, Jeffrey Mayer. Mayer. Jeffrey Mayer. But you know what? He acted like Jeffrey Dahmer because he Jeffrey killed Dahmer. you guys pretty much, and uh, and it was the Jeter home run. That's right. That's the, that's the thing that, that I can remember because it was our right fielder, uh, Tarasco was under the ball and he was about to catch it. Now we win that game. It changes the whole, the whole series because we, when we went set game, game two, we go home up to nothing. I mean, it's going to be tough to beat us at that point, but I remember 96 and then 97, same thing. We went wire to wire and we ended up uh, in the championship series against the Cleveland Indians. And just, we just didn't play very well and ended up going to the world series. But uh, I mean, those, those two years, the, those five years uh, that I was there with Cal Ripken, you know, Ripken was going through his streak uh, during that time. So that was kind of fun to watch um, and just watching him go through that process. So uh, I would say that probably those five years are probably the ones that stick out the most, you know, playing here in Texas was great. I mean, I obviously I've been living here now for 30 years and I played with some great teammates with Nolan Ryan and Pudge Rodriguez and Julio Franco and A-Rod and, um, uh, who else? Uh, Ruben Sierra. So there was a lot of great players uh, up here and a lot of great players in Baltimore as well with, with um, Robbie Alomar, um, Eric Davis. Uh, and those in those two years in Chicago, those were special too, uh, with Rick Sutcliffe and Andre Dawson and Jody Davis and even Manny Trio that I got a chance to play with at the end of his career. So, um, I mean, they're, they're all special. It's kind of hard for me to pick uh, – pick uh but I, i'd say those two or three years up in baltimore when we had some really good teams uh, and i thought we had a chance to win back-to-back championships and we just came up short but chicago blew it they traded you this is actually becoming one of my favorite questions is you know we had the uh, great trevor hoffman on with us recently and maybe for some a little known fact he was a part of the florida marlins for a minute and then they trade him to San Diego. And, you know, I think if you ask most, they'd be like, oh, he's just like a Padre for life, pretty much. I mean, I think he had, what, a year or two at the end where he flipped around. But you were traded early on in your career. You were an all-star in 88 with the Cubs. So what was that process like? And, I mean, 
you're on top of the world. You're a young player. You're an all-star. You're playing in Wrigley. And you're like, wait, I, I got traded. Now, some can say, hey, that means I'm wanted. But still, I'm sure there's a shock factor for a young player where you're like, my team's giving me up. Yeah, I didn't see it that way. I kind of thought that they had given up on me. Um, and it happened in 88, which was the year that I made it to the All-Star game. I hadn't. In fact, I was I went all the way into the uh, to the last day of the season battling for a batting title with Tony Gwynn and Andres Galarraga. And I think there were only two or three of us in the whole league that hit 300 that year. And I think I hit 306 and Tony Gwynn hit like 310 or something like that to win the battle. So how were they giving up on you? Giving up on a 300 plus all-star? Because they uh, they thought that I would hit for more power, I guess is what uh, Don Zimmer uh, told me. Maybe not at the time, because uh, you know I was just really upset. I couldn't believe that I, that I was being traded. I mean, this is the Cubs. This is the team that drafted me. And I just come off a really good year. You know, I didn't hit very many home runs that year. I hit I hit eight, but I hit a whole bunch of doubles and I hit over three hundred. Uh, and I just didn't take it very well. I just, and then to the Texas Rangers, a team that I, I didn't know very much about. You know, because it could, if if it would have been the Yankees or or a team that that I'm familiar with, maybe I would have accepted it a little bit better. But um, I just wasn't prepared for that. But it was probably a good thing because it you know it changed my career when I got here to Texas and I was able to make some adjustments with my batting, with my stands and my, like I said earlier, I was able to use my lower half. I got with a hitting coach to kind of help me out a little bit. And I started driving the ball a little bit more. So a lot of those doubles are now, you know, going over the fence for home runs, but uh, it was just, I was shocked that I was traded, you know, it was, and Jamie Moyer came in that trade as well. Um, So, and he had a great career too. Jamie Moore, my goodness, I faced him in A-ball, double-A, triple-A, and the major leagues. I was tired of Jamie Moore by that time. He was the, the only guy, thing. guys, that threw a yeah. change-up off a change-up. And uh, <laughs> it was – it was he would throw you an 82-mile-hour change-up. i go, okay, well, that's as slow as he's going to throw. No, then he'd throw you a 73-mile-hour change yeah. But that was dramatic, man. I, I do remember your trade. Um, but it's weird how life is, isn't it? Because you end up going to Texas, the Dallas area, Arlington – and you settle in there. I mean, forget about your baseball career. You fall in love with it. You and your wife, you raise your kids there. And, and that's been your mainstay. That's right. You know, we got here. We didn't have kids at the time because it was in 89. My son was born. My first son was born in, in 90. Um, but, yeah, we just, uh, you know, not the Chicago. I don't think we would have stayed in Chicago in the offseason because, you know, being from Miami, liking the, the warm weather, uh, I was just not going to be able to adapt to that cold weather in the offseason up in Chicago, but uh, we probably would have ended up somewhere in Florida. Who knows? Maybe back in Miami, who knows? But we, we settled here in Texas and um, you know, we love the area. It's grown a lot. Uh, and we just got used to it. And our kids were born here. They, one of them still lives here in the area. Uh, the other one's playing in the minor leagues with the angels in double a. So he's probably going to settle back here at some point when he, uh, when he gets married, but we, we just love the area. So yeah, it's that, I mean, I'm guessing that's how the, that's the way things were supposed to happen. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad that, that, you know, looking back on it, that, that the trade happened uh, where the Cubs sent me down here. Uh, and then everything else after that just happened uh, as it was supposed to happen, I guess. Also, newsflash, power takes time to develop for some youngsters. I mean, how old were you when you got dealt? Low 20s, right? Well, like 24, I 25? In, uh, I was 21 when I came up, so it was, I was only 23. 23? I mean, come on. Here's hey, the, here's the thing that you got to remember. 
I had a lot of home runs in college. And I had a lot of home runs as a kid. Like, I know that it doesn't matter, but when you, when you start off as a kid and you hit home runs everywhere you go, I mean, my swing was a natural swing that was, I wasn't a very big guy. I was never a big guy. You know, I played at 200 pounds at the top of my game when I was at the, the strongest. I was never 230 pounds or anything like that. So, you know, when I was in college, I was about 185 pounds. But I hit the ball out of the ballpark. I hit, I hit like 70 home runs in, in three years in college. And I hit some in the minor leagues. Not a lot, but I hit a lot of, you know, I hit some home runs in the minor leagues. So I always felt like I could hit home runs. Never thought I would hit 569 home runs, but I kind of felt that, you know, the power game was part of my game. And I think uh, the first couple of years in Chicago, I just kind of lost it a little bit. I became more of a, uh, you know, line drive, slap the ball the other way, kind of, kind of hitter. And I got away from that. And I think the Cubs kind of realized, okay, well, maybe he's not going to develop into this kind of power hitter that we thought he was going to be. And I was able to kind of straighten it out, out a little bit down here in Texas early on by just learning how to use my lower half and, uh, and staying behind the ball a little bit better and not getting out there too, too, too quickly, which is what I was doing. Uh, but yeah, I always felt that I would hit some home runs, but not over 500. Yeah, but here's the deal about hitting that you and I both know. Uh, it, it's a cumulative thing. I mean, it's like, you know, it just the, the more at-bats that you get at, at the same level, right? Uh, you're going to get comfortable with that pitching, what the other op op opposition's doing to you. So then, like you said, when you first got called up, you knew you could hit line drives. So you went with that theory, which was smart, and, you know, you were crushing at 300. And then as you I, – I know you as a player because, you know, got to watch you and, and you're a contemporary, that then you could then start lifting certain situations, 3-1, 2-1, who's hitting behind me, who's on second. You know, all those situations come into play that just automatically – uh, they talk about computers. Our computers in our head as, you know, as hitters with 2,000, 4,000, 8,000 at-bats automatically register that. And that's the beauty of, of a think of a hitter, man. And, and you were the epitome of that because then you learned and you became, you know, you knew the spots that you can take advantage of. That's right. And, you know, it, it happens through time. You know, over time, uh, as you get older, you, you get more at-bats, consistent at-bats, um, you know, every night you go out there and you get four or five at bats and, and, you know, you're playing with guys that are experienced players and you're kind of picking their brain and you're watching how they're doing it. And you're right. You know, as you fail at it, and you, you know, you, you get, you go through the process of failing at it and then you start getting some success off that failure. And yeah, that's how you develop. Uh, I don't know that there's anyone in, in the game that has come up and just has dominated the game completely and not ever failed at it you have to kind of go through that process of, of developing and getting used to the league. And as like you say, your brain is a computer. So when you face a guy for the second or the third time or the fourth time, uh, you start seeing patterns. You start seeing how they're trying to get you out. And, and you learn as a hitter the situations where you can actually go up there and try to look for a pitch you can drive out of the ballpark. Uh, yeah, I learned all that. Uh, but I paid attention. I paid attention at the other guys and what they were doing and, and uh, learning from some of those guys. So, yeah. Um, I mean, like I said, I was never a big, strong guy. I mean, I'd lifted some in the off season, but I was never into that lifting, uh, during the season. That just, it's not who I was. So I got, I got strong enough to hit the ball out of the ballpark. Uh, but I think what carried me was just my swing, my mental approach to hitting and just my experience as I got older.
So before O drops the big hammer for story time at the end of this conversation, when you reflect back, what's the top moment for you? What stands out the most and, and maybe what stands out the least or what didn't you like about your days in the bigs? Uh, I mean, I, I enjoyed my whole career. Uh, I think what stands out the most is when I got to, well, the day I got to the big leagues, that one's forever. That one stands out there because that was my dream come true. Um, uh, getting the 500 home runs on Mother's Day, uh, getting to 3,000 hits um, in 2005. So those are the things that, I, that stand out the most. And obviously the thing that I can hope, wish that I could erase is when I got suspended. Uh, that was like the, uh, that's kind of, that changed my whole life. That changed my whole career. And uh, it's never been the same since, but yeah, if I could redo all that and erase it, I would, I would love to do that, but obviously I can't and I have to live with it. But those are the things that stick out. Yeah, brother. But you also live with the fact that you were a, a, a super hitter. Nobody could take that away from you. Cause that, that uh, is not, uh, that was not the, you know, the, the end of that scenario. So, um, Listen, uh, this is the time for the, the uh, time of the show that we call No Way Jose. And I want to see I, you You played for a lot of years. You came through a lot of zany guys. Give me a story and give us a story that you maybe remember uh, in your baseball years that was pretty stood out. Something that's funny? Is that what you're, you're wanting? Something funny? Uh, it could be funny. I, zany. I think comedy is preferred if, it, if it's available. Yeah, well, if it's funny, it's great, but <laughs> kooky. Yeah. This because you know, very, you've seen it many, many times on video. Uh, we were playing in Cleveland, and uh, <clears throat> we had Jose Canseco was playing right field, and the ball was hit out to him, ball that he went back on, and he went to catch it, and the ball hit him on top of the head, and it went over for a home run. And so he was kind of like looking around, like, where, where, you know, what happened? Where's the ball? And so when he when we came in, I mean, the whole team was just cracking up, laughing. Cracking up. But when we came into the dugout, you know, like everyone was laughing at him and stuff, and they were joking. But Kenny Rogers was our pitcher, and he was so pissed. He was so mad that that had happened. But he was even more mad, madder than that everybody in the dugout thought it was funny because it cost him three, three, uh, three runs and three earned runs for that matter. But I remember him saying, yeah, I thought I, I, I thought I caught it and I thought it hit my glove, but it hit him in the head. So I don't understand how he can say that, you know, that he thought it hit him in the glove when the ball hit him on the head. That, that, that had to hurt. OK. And I think it was embarrassing, but that's that was funny. And it, they still show it a lot. And it's still funny as hell. That's uh, funny you mentioned that. It, yeah, that's she, my favorite blooper of all time. It like is. We've you talked about that. it on this show. <laughs> Several times. Yes. Yeah. It's the best blooper ever because it creates a homer. It's off his head. And that's why any insight that I can get, like you were in the dugout Rogers. for that, is and incredible to hear how Kenny's pissed. Jose's saying, oh, like, wasn't me. I didn't know it's off my head. You're right. I mean, for any normal person, like a ball traveling that distance at that speed, you're gonna feel it. Like there's no way he did not feel that thing smash off his head. I don't. Th I don't care how much adrenaline is going through you. I'm at about 95. Miles. Okay, based on the exit velocities now, it's mm -hmm. coming at about 95 miles an hour, and it's at least at least, and it's coming off his head. So for him, no helmet, no helmet, just a hat. For him to say, "Yeah, I hit off my glove," and I'm thinking, "Dude, it hit off your head. What are you talking about?" <laughs> 
But anyway, and I'll, here, I'll tell you another story. You guys remember the fight, the Nolan Ryan? Um, gosh, what was the guy's name? Uh, oh, with uh, the third baseman. Yes. Robin Ventura? Yeah. yeah Robin, Robin Ventura. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that was early on in my career. That, that was my first time around with the Rangers. And Nolan was here for the five years that we were here. Uh, and I love Nolan, okay? But every time Nolan pitched, we were either in a brawl or, you know, the benches were cleared because he was always sending a message early on in the game that, you know, hey, make sure that you don't, you know, dig in the batter's box. Uh, and he'd hit several guys, you know, throughout the, the season and throughout the, the years that he, that we were together. And I can't remember which year this was, but the White Sox came into town. And I know this for a fact because Ozzy Gian and I ended up being teammates in Baltimore. And we talked about this and he brought it up. He goes, Hey, yeah. Remember the, 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 uh, the brawl that we got into you guys with, uh, you know, back in, in the day. And I said, yeah, he goes, well, this is what happened. Uh, when the, you know, when you, when you first get to the ballpark, the first day you go over the scouting report, you sit as a team and the pitchers, we go over the pitchers on the other team, you go over the starters, the bullpen guys, you go over the lineup, how you're going to play each guy, you know, defensively. Anyway, they knew that Nolan was pitching the second night and they all got together and said, okay, we know that he's going to throw at somebody. Okay. Whoever it is, it doesn't matter. Whoever it is, go get them. Cause the whole, we're coming out of the dugout at the same time. We're going to go kill this guy. Okay. Well, I don't know if you know Robin Ventura, but this guy is like the nicest guy you'll ever meet, okay? He is. He had so much respect for Nolan Ryan. He had so much respect for the game, just being in the big leagues. That he was living his dream. Well, heck, Nolan threw at Robin, and you can see as soon as he got hit, there was this hesitation because he wasn't really thinking about, oh, I got to go get him, okay? He was thinking, oh, he hit me, so I better, oh, I got to go. So that's what happened. They all got together and they, they decided that whoever got hit was going to go get known. And Robin was the wow. guy that got, went out to the mound and he didn't go out there to fight. He just went out there because he had to go out there. But anyway, that's, that's not no funny. Wonder, no wonder that, that, you know, that Nolan got him hooked up so easily and gave him about five shots. Of the head. I know. That's right. He drew the short straw big time. <laughs> He just, you know, he didn't want to go out there. First of all, you know, that is a great story. I know. I never knew that. Scotty, you ever heard this story? I didn't know. These are two iconic moments. Standing in this is behind the scenes of yes. two great moments. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Raphael. Yep, yep, yep. It's true. And I heard it from the other side. Not, I didn't make this Not up. Yeah, you didn't make this up. <laughs> told me that. Uh, I mean, I. But they hit. I wonder if they would have hit. Uh, Bo Jackson, because I think Bo Jackson was on the team. What? That would have been a big mistake. Listen, he went through that roster, Nolan, smart as he is, and he picked the guy that he knew. (laughs) I've got to give it to Nolan, though. If you guys see Nolan Ryan when he was back in the day, he wasn't picking at little guys. He was throwing at big hitters. I know he hit Dave Winfield once. He went after Chef. Yeah. Chef, yeah. But Bo Jackson's the line, right? Like, that's, that's my line. I'm going to stop at NFL running back who is a tank. Yeah. If Bo Jackson, Jackson would have charged the mound, Nolan would have been out there by himself, I think. <laughs> yeah, trust it. That would have been over. That's I, good. I, I was close. Great to, line. You know, we got – I mean, I, I've known Bo since our college days when he was at Auburn. Uh, but just at the height of his career, 
when he was with the White, even before when he was with the White Sox. This dude was, a, I mean, he was a running back. Like you said, he was a running back. He was a super athlete with massive power and speed. And uh, he would have been a Hall of Fame player if he had just stayed healthy and played baseball. That's how good he was. And then I you agree. Know, you know what he did in the NFL? He was probably the best running back at, when he was playing. So either way, man, he would have he would have been a Hall of Famer uh, in both, but he he got hurt. Yep. That's it. That's all that held him back. We all saw it too. This was great. Rob, we appreciate it. Really good story time at the conclusion. And thanks for hanging with us in the lounge. Oh, I think we've talked about the Jose Canseco blooper a couple times during Uh our run weekly here in the lounge. And that was to me kind of putting the bow on the story because I didn't know some of the inside conversations and situations going on, like including Jose, not even knowing it hit his head, which is just (laughs) wild to me. So I very thoroughly enjoyed that. No way Jose story. No doubt. And and obviously it it left a a vivid impression in in Rafi Palmero's mind and his life baseball life. And he had quite the, the baseball life of, of, of success and you know what and failure uh you know it was kind of cool to uh to kind of let him say how dramatically his mistake you know has affected him it still does he, he lives it he lives with with the, the guilt but but he also has to live his life and and as i always said especially a guy like rafi uh it what it didn't you know personify him as a baseball he was a great hitter and he did a lot of other great things i'm not going to hold that you know over his head for his whole career but uh, good to have him on. Yeah, and just, again, a, a, a great part of, of history with a play like the Jose Canseco blooper, which was a part of our This Week in Baseball at one point. Now let's cue that up for this week. August 2nd, 1979. This one, you know, with heavy hearts for many baseball fans, Thurman Munson, who is, in my mind, a legendary baseball player, even though he hasn't cracked the Hall of Fame, right. partially because he didn't play a ton years wise didn't rack up the the counting stats because he passed away at the way too young age of 32 years old a plane crash that he was piloting the memorial tribute at yankee stadium over 50,000 people attended and this was a player who made an enormous impact in the game in a very short time he really did i mean it, it left an imprint on me at that time i was uh you know 16 uh let me see 16 17 years old and um, in the in the midst of high school baseball, you know, and, and 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 a huge Yankee fan down in Miami every summer. I've already told we've talked about it. I have an aunt and uncle that that lived there, so I would go and spend two weeks, and all I did was go to Yankee games or or, or Met games, whoever was at home. And so I got to see uh, Thurman Munson play in 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 the seventies, and I was a huge fan. Reggie Thurman. Um, you know, guys like that, Nettles. I mean, this was um, monumental to a, a loss uh, more ways than just a player, but the captain and kind of the key of those 70s great Yankee Yankee teams. And for me, I mean, I, one of the first stories that I remember is my dad telling me about he went to a car dealership. They were doing a signing. Thurman was there. There's some others there too, like Catfish Hunter. But I just remember he had a, a pennant, and I think he still has it with Thurman's signature. So it was, mm. I just remember learning at an, you know, I was very young at the time learning about, Hey, what, who signed that learning about what autographs were in general, and then learning a little bit about Thurman's career. So that one uh, hold, holds dear to my heart 
still. as well. Yes, still today. You think about the life uh, taken away way too soon for Thurman Munson on this week in baseball. Hey, so where are they now? Super timely because we had Will Clark along with Brian Jordan on last week's episode inside the lounge and you know where to find it. If you're listening on Sirius right now, you can find it inside the app. Listen back to all of them. Otherwise, you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, et cetera, wherever you all get your podcasts, go back and listen because the one thing we use this word frequently with our guests is it's evergreen. So mm-hmm. if you go back and listen, it's not like you're going to say, oh, well, that was from June 10th. It's old news. It's not. We're talking to players, big picture about their life, their career. So Will Clark, uh, bringing it to now had his jersey retired his number retired by the san francisco giants in the past week we had him on last week and then also i want to put him in uh well connect him to this where are they now which includes vernon wells and chris ionetta who played together and they were hurt together at the same time in 2012 and they love wine so actually created jack winery together i mean they really went through the process just like Will Clark did and eventually had a guy named Grant Long Jr., who is the renowned proprietor, and he helped them put a, a crafted selection of wines together and some of their favorites. And then the Jack moniker is an acronym inspired by Chris and Vernon's children's names. So that's still going today. You can look that up. Some players that are super into the wine biz. I mean, I know Tom Seaver was very involved in that world and the late Tom Seaver as well. And there are yeah. some baseball players that, that really few, get into actually. the spirits world. Yeah, and you know, especially specifically wine. But I, I tell you what, it was very curious, you know, to have Annetta and Vernon Wells both heard at the same time. Can you just remember, you know, f- figure that one out? And you're like sitting there, you're, 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 you know, you're rehabbing and you're trade, and you're like, huh, you know, what do you like? Uh, you know, I really do like wines. And then boom, they just like during the same period <laughs> they were hurt, they came up with this. How uh, kind of weird, but uh fun and uh another kind of a where are they now uniqueness yeah and a lifelong connection now for those two as they have you know the business together i, I think it's awesome right you know it's almost no reminds me of like like forrest gump when they're out um talking about shrimp and then he's like yeah let's start a shrimp business <laughs> bubba bubba what was it bubba, bubba gum shrimp bubba gum shrimp yeah Kind you of, sort of. Yeah. Bob is telling him about how, like, he loves shrimp and his family is, you know, they're whatever you would call it, shrimp farmers. I don't know. Yeah. And, but I, I, I think about that. It's like they're sitting <laughs> on a rehab table. They're like doing knee exercises or something. And he's like, what, what do you, you like? Do? Yeah, I like wine. <laughs> oh, Same, I love wine. What do you like? <laughs> <laughs> you and me like podcasts and hosting people in the lounge. Exactly. So they're yeah. kicking us out. This place is closed. We'll see you yeah. next time. The Legends Lounge Podcast is brought to you by Major League Alumni Marketing. Hit us with questions or comments at legendslounge at mlbpaa.com. Check out our memorabilia at mlamauthentics.com. Later, Legends. Legends.